I have a question to start this morning. How are we known as a church? What, what's our reputation? Do people in Cromwell, when they think of us, say, yes, I know that church, they do well? Or do they roll their eyes and say, oh, that church? Or do they even know we exist? And what about further afield? What about Christians outside Cromwell? What's our reputation? What do they think of us? Good? bad or indifferent. And following on from that, what would we like the people in Cromwell to know about our church? If we could present any image to the community, what would it be? Just mentally finish this sentence. I'd like the people in Cromwell to know that our church is. Yeah, How would you finish that sentence? Our Ephesians passage actually helps us explore these questions this morning. Paul not only defines how a Christian church is to be known, but also how to get there. And so today we're going to look at three things as we open up these few verses in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to think about what do others think about us, what we would like others to think about us, and also how we can get there. So we'll quickly survey what we think others Think about us, then we'll see what we'd like others to think about us, and we'll see that in Ephesians, and then how we can get there, and it's a lot to do with thanksgiving. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the riches and the treasures that are here, but without your Holy Spirit, we can never unlock and enjoy these treasures. So we pray your Holy Spirit will make these words come alive, and that Jesus will be known to us afresh this morning. Through his name we pray. Amen. So what do other people, what do other people in Cromwell think about us? Well, on the positive side, a good many young families have come into contact with our ministries, including rhythm and dance, which is now mainly music, the light party, and also Santa Land and various other things. Uh, One of our newer members told me that she was just in Cromwell a few days and she was having a coffee in a cafe and struck up a conversation and that person recommended our church based on our children's ministry and that person wasn't coming to our church. That's a good reputation to have, isn't it? But on the negative side, uh, not everyone thinks that we're a good church. There is some resentment amongst the wider community about these facilities. Now we praise God for the significant community support during the building of this church. We thank God for the Central Lakes Trust who helped and the many tradies who volunteered time and labour to make this building possible. However, a misunderstanding has developed among some where they see this as a community centre first and a church second. And so when as a church there was a decision made not to have alcohol on the premises, some people felt that's not the way that a community facility should operate because they see us as a community centre first and a church second. And when we say, well, we only have Christian funerals here, then some people in the wider community say, that's no way for a community centre to act. And so for some, when you mention our church, there's this resentment. There's this thought that, well, has there any community spirit in this place? What about the wider church? What do they think? Well, uh, before... Cromwell was on my radar, and I was happy 
in Auckland, ministering there. If you had asked me about this church, there were two things I would have told you. First of all, I would have told you that Cromwell Presbyterian Church is a Bible-believing church. They have a heart for God's word. But the other thing I would have told you is that they're hard on their ministers. Now, you may debate that last point, but that's the reputation that we had when I was up in Auckland. Bible-believing, but hard on their people. Is this what we want other people to think? Do we want people in Cromwell to think we're awesome at children's work, but we haven't got that much community spirit? Do we want to think the, do we want the wider church to think, well, these guys in Cromwell are Bible believing, but ooh, they can be a bit hard on their people? Well, yes and no, isn't it? <laughs> but praise God, we have in God's word not only a simple and doable definition of church doing well, but also how to get there. And that's what we're going to see this morning when we open up Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. You can follow along in the service sheet or your Bible, and it's on the screen. So the church in Ephesus is doing it right, and we're going to learn from them. Verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, and then verse 16 goes on, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. But it's in that verse there. And you see the two criteria for a church. To be a church, the definition is keep Christ central and love between the members. That's what the Ephesian church was doing right, and that's what we can learn about this morning. So that first point, keep Christ central. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul had heard about the church in Ephesus. He'd been ministering there a while. He'd gone away and he was getting this feedback that the Ephesian church was keeping Christ central. And he's stoked. He's thrilled. There's two things there that we can see. First of all, a church must hold tightly to Jesus, keeping him central, not get distracted by many other good things but keeping Christ the centre of all we do. And it's by faith. By faith we are saved. By faith we stay saved. It's a faith that looks like this. When the world says that Jesus is irrelevant, when Satan belittles Jesus, when our human frailty is attracted to all sorts of other things, we hold fast to Christ despite being pulled away. It's the first thing we learn here. The second thing is that keeping Jesus central is not only believing in him, but calling him Lord. He's not just a friend that we, you know, we chat to now and again when we need a bit of trouble, you know, and things like that. He is our Lord. We submit to him and his word. And so when Satan or our frailty or the world tug us away from God and his ways, we say, no, Jesus is my Lord. I am his servant. I will follow him no matter what. So this is the first definition of a church, keeping Christ central. The second thing is a love, a genuine heartfelt love for each other, for the members. Now Paul uses the word saints here, and your love for all the saints. Now we have a bit of a confusion about the word saints. When we think of saint, we think of a title of a long-dead hero of the faith. 
So we might think of St. Peter, the great apostle. We might think of St. Mary, the mother of Jesus. We might think of St. Augustine, the wonderful theologian and church leader. We might even think of St. Paul himself who wrote this letter. However, if we could talk to Paul and tell him what we thought a saint was, he'd think we were crazy. Because in the Bible, wherever you read the word saint, it means a believer of Jesus. We tend to use the word member of a church. He would use the term saints in the church. It means set apart. A believer is someone who is set apart for Jesus, and that's where the word saint comes from. And so Paul is not saying to the church in Ephesus, I've heard that you have a lot of love for all these long-dead religious people. It's not what he's saying there. What he's saying is, I have heard that you love each other and you're doing it well. I mean, isn't that a good reputation to have? The church in Ephesus was keeping Christ central and were doing a great job of caring for each other. And so that's the criteria that we as a church, any Christian church, should be known as. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we asked someone in Cromwell, someone outside our church, well, have you heard of Cromwell Presbyterian Church? Wouldn't it be wonderful if that person replied something like this? Yes, I know about them. They seem to be banging on about that Jesus guy all the time. But boy, do they care for each other. I'd be stoked. I think that gives you a wonderful platform to make a difference in the community's life if that's how people thought about us. But there's a gap. (laughs) We're not there yet, are we? We're not known because we keep Jesus central or that we love each other. And part of that is because any reputation is, is faulty. Nobody knows exactly about it. But part of it is because there's a gap. We're not doing the best job that we can. The nice thing about this passage is that it helps us to close the gap. helps us as a church to get better at keeping Christ central and also caring and loving each other. And we start to see this in verse 16. In verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now this serves as an introduction to the rest of this chapter where Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. He's heard that they're keeping Christ central. He's heard that they're caring for each other and he wants for them, he wants them to do it better. He wants them to do it well and all the time. And so the rest of the prayer from verse 17 right through to 23 is Paul praying that they will get better at this. We've only time to look at the very first part to help us close the gap, and that is the thanksgiving. I've not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering in my prayers. And thanksgiving is a real key for us to close the gap. You see, thanksgiving is vital to every prayer. Often when Paul starts a prayer, he says, I thank God for you, and then he prays. I thank God for you is how he often opens his letters. And so there's this important sense of thanksgiving, which is the motivation for prayer that can help us close the gap. We see this in all sorts of passages, just two. Thanksgiving is our motivation for prayer. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So notice that thanksgiving leads into worship, heartfelt worship, which frames all our prayers. 
Now, this thanksgiving is a great help when it comes to our biggest challenge when praying. And the biggest challenge to prayer is Christians hardly ever pray. Some of you might think, well, it's a bit harsh. And others will probably be thinking, oh, I just thought it was me that struggled in prayer. Now, I know there's a few folk that have a real gift in, in prayer, and you could teach us so much, and I hope I'm on your prayer list if you're one of those people. <laughs> but many of us really do struggle, don't we? And there's a number of reasons why, but one of the reasons is motivation. We have the wrong motivation. So what motivates us to pray? Well, sometimes it's need. You know, we pray because we have a need. There's a situation with our health, with our work situation, with our children at school, uh, with a loved one. And so we come to God in prayer. And the Bible tells us that's a good thing to do, that we should and, and encourages us to come to God with our needs. But if that's our sole motivation for prayer, it falls sadly short. Because if we just come to God when we have a need, we won't come to him that often because most of us are independent and try and sort out our problems ourselves. And God's a little bit of a last resort. It's a little bit like when you're opening something and you're putting it together and you know, and you can't put it together and you think I better read the instructions. We tend to do it as late as possible. It, it tends to be the same with prayer. And also if need is your primary motivation to come to God in prayer, once you've given him your shopping list, you kind of think, oh, what next? You know, you, that's it. And so if need is your primary motivation, your prayers are going to fall short. Now, another reason why Christians pray is out of a sense of duty. Now, is duty your motivation to pray? You read in the Bible that people are praying. You see it modelled in church. You see it in small groups. And so you think, well, I better pray because that's what Christians do. And you drag yourself out to a quiet spot and, and you make it happen and you pray. And now it is good that we discipline ourselves to pray when we don't feel like it. I mean, it's really helpful. And there are times when we all need to do that. Whenever there's a good thing we want, don't want to do because we don't feel like it, we need to discipline ourselves to do that good thing. However, if duty is your primary and your sole motivation for prayer, then prayer will become lifeless and distant. It'll be just a grind, something that you check off your to-do list every day. You see, the only safe motivation for prayer is thanksgiving, allowing gratitude for all that God has done for us first to well up inside and guide and direct our prayers. Like I said, it's good to pray because we have a need and out of duty, but they are not our primary motivators. Thanksgiving, gratitude is our primary motivator for prayer. And it's once that thanksgiving, as Paul is praying, that thanksgiving develops in our life, that prayer becomes vital and Christ becomes more real to us and we close the gap. We keep Christ central and we love each other. So I'm going to give you three ways, briefly, so that to help you grow in gratitude, to give you some direction so thanksgiving can be more a part of your life. To do that, we're going to go back to those spiritual blessings from the heavenly realms. Remember that we've been looking at those in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1? We've looked at those three blessings. Let's revisit those again and see how they can 
develop an attitude of thanksgiving. And the first spiritual blessing from the heavenly realm was adoption. Ephesians 1 verse 5, we are adopted as daughters and sons of the living God. As we grow in an understanding that we are God's children and that we are dearly loved, when we come understand how amazingly powerful and wonderful the creator of the universe is and yet he has called us to be his children, as that becomes a reality, gratitude and thankfulness will well up inside you. If we only knew how much our Heavenly Father loves and cares for us, if we knew the reality of being his daughter, his son, a princess, a prince in the kingdom of God, we would be walking around with the stupidest grin on our face. (laughs) It's so amazing. Father-like, he tends and cares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Praise him, praise him. Praise him, praise him, widely as his mercy flows. First way we can cultivate thanksgiving in our lives. The second blessing from the heavenly realms that we looked at was that we are redeemed, rescued from sin and death. Sin's grip on our life is broken. Oh, yes, we wrestle with it, but we will overcome as we look to Christ. And instead of eternal death, destruction, and separated from the presence of God, everlasting life is ours. And as we grow in understanding this reality, again, thanksgiving and gratitude will well up within us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. Redeemed, rescued from sin and death. And finally, the third way that we can develop this thankfulness within us is through the third blessing from the heavenly realms that we looked at, which is being sealed and filled by the Holy Spirit. When we understand that our heart of stone has been replaced by a heart of flesh, and when God has taken part of his spirit and put his spirit within us, then everything changes. We have that part of God in us that is transforming us and opening all sorts of doors of possibilities. Holy Spirit, love divine, glow within this heart of mine, kindle every high desire, perish self in thy pure fire. Holy Spirit, peace divine, still this restless heart of mine, speak to calm this tossing sea, stayed in thy tranquility. And it says we ponder as we lean into, as we make these spiritual blessings by the grace of God part of our life, that thanksgiving wells up and overflows into our lives, especially our life of prayer. So let's pull this together. What have we looked at this morning? Well, the main thrust of the message is to communicate from God's word this truth. Thanksgiving is essential. It's the essential motivation for prayer that will transform our lives and the life of this church. We've seen in God's word 
that the reputation that we would like people in the community to know about us is that Christ is central and that we deeply care for each other. Now, there's a gap. We're not there yet. But by the grace of God, we can be. We can be, in all reality, be a church that is Christ-focused and care for each other. And I want to thank you for those folk that brought those um, those food items for the Vanuatu men. There's a big pile out there. And that's one way, that's one sign that we can show folk that we care for each other. You know, we've got about half a dozen to a dozen Vanuatu men when they when their shifts are out, they come and worship for us, and it's a wonderful privilege. But that's just one simple way that we can grow in that ability to care for each other. It's my prayer that if we were to ask any local person in Cromwell about our church, they would say something like this. Yes, I know Cromwell Presbyterian Church. They do seem to rabbit on about Jesus a lot. But boy, do they care for each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it amazes us that you have adopted us as daughters and sons. We are staggered that you have rescued us from sin and death and that you would place your Holy Spirit in us just defies imagination. But you have blessed us with every blessing from the spiritual, from the heavenly realms. And so, Lord, we pray that we'll work it out practically, that you'll teach us how to keep Christ central to our life in this church and how to care for each other with warmth and affection and brother and sisterly love. And we pray this, Lord, so that people outside will see and be attracted to Jesus, that they will see that there is a different way of living when Christ is at the center and when we care for each other. So we pray for this in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen.